Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We've got a fantastic Friday episode for all of you listeners today, as I am joined by a man I consider a friend at this point. I wonder if he feels the same way. Certainly hope he feels it's as much of a joy, a privilege to chat as I do, of course. We are joined today by Pepperdine men's tennis head coach Adam Schachterly, who somehow has never appeared on this podcast prior to today's show. That's a massive unforced error by me, one I'm happy to rectify with this episode. And of course, on today's show, we discuss the state of his Pepperdine program entering 2022. It's been two successive seasons of success over in in Malibu, Pepperdine, the only remaining undefeated team when 2020 season was stopped. And of course, last year, they earn a win over USC, nearly beat them again in the NCAA second round, undoubtedly a step forward for Coach Schachterly. And, you know, the question I wanted to ask him, how do you build off of that success? What should we be expecting from the waves here in 2022? Because, of course, historians of college tennis will know that Pepperdine is one of those programs that has had so much success throughout its illustrious history. You go back to the 1980s, Kelly Jones, Jerome Jones, Brad Gilbert, amongst the many successful Pepperdine players to be on campus. Of course, you go to the 2000s. They win a team championship. You go early 2010s, the Sebastian Faneslo teams that made an NCAA semifinal, made an NCAA quarterfinal. This is a program that historically has proven it can be top 10. It can compete at the highest levels of college tennis. And I know that is the ultimate goal for Coach Schachterly and this team to get back to that level. And so I wanted to talk about how you go about doing that. Of course, I also had to pick his brain about some of the big picture topics in college tennis. What is the role of the fall? What should we be doing with the NCAA individual tournament? How do we best put college tennis in a position to thrive, not only over the next year, but over the many decades to come? And it was a fascinating conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed today's episode. I know all of you listeners will as well. And it's a preview of what's to come as again. We're going to start rolling out our Power 5 conversations next week. I've chatted with as many Power 5 men's and women's tennis head coaches as I can, hoping to hit them all before the start of the season. But this is a sneak preview of what you can expect in those episodes. And, you know, again, if you missed any of our College Contenders episodes thus far, we've broken down our number 10, 9, and 8 preseason men's and women's teams heading into the 2022 dual match season. All of that content available on the website, crackrackets.com. But you didn't come here to hear plugs. You came here to hear a conversation. So let's get to it. Here is my chat with the one and only Pepperdine men tennis head coach, Adam Schachterly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome 
joining us on the podcast for the first time today, a man you may know best from his playing career, where he was a standout at Northwestern, of course. Now, he's the head coach of the Pepperdine Men's Tennis Program. Welcome to the show, head coach Adam Shackley. Coach, welcome. It is a pleasure to have you. Happy belated Thanksgiving. How are you doing today? Thanks so much for having me. I, I got to stop you right there, though. No one knows me by my playing career. <laughs> <laughs> I do, Coach. I, like, I do. I appreciate the intro, but that, that, that's definitely an exaggeration of a pretty average college career, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Who doesn't remember an NCAA doubles appearance? I think we all remember those, right? Well, the story about that's amazing. I actually was the first alternate at Stanford. <laughs> And in the in the team event, that was that was the team event that Pepperdine won. Yeah. And during the team event, a Georgia player hurt his wrist. I don't know if he tore cartilage, broke his wrist, and actually stopped playing in the team event. Mm-hmm. And everyone was congratulating Matt Christian, Michigan, <laughs> sure. about about being in the in the tournament, and saying, "Hey, you're in. You guys are going to play." And the guy ended up playing with a one-handed backhand return. Individuals, <laughs> <laughs> and we never got our. So we were first alternates. <laughs> oh, brutal, brutal! But still, it's a good story. I like it. And obviously, from there, you go right into your college tennis coaching career. And you know, you alluded to it. I know pro tennis wasn't something you were really considering, but you know, right away, whether it's assistant at Northwestern or you know, head coach North Florida, you then go back to Notre Dame as an assistant. It's a lifelong service to college tennis and as someone who hopes to have a similar career over these next couple of decades unfold I know you're still early in your career but what was it about the sport that you gravitated towards why had you know right away were you like college tennis coaching is the thing for me that's a great question um you know I I actually was very interested in teaching uh that had always been something that, that caught my attention and some of my coaching mentors, uh, coaches that I've taken a lot from a guy like coach Bobby Clark, who coached men's soccer at Notre Dame and won a national championship there. A lot of them refer to coaching as teaching. And I think that part of coaching has always appealed to me, just helping young people grow and develop and and become their best. And then my twin brother played for university of Iowa and seeing the impact that, that coach Steve Houghton had on his life. Uh, was also something that, you know, went beyond the sport. My, my brother was messing around a little bit in danger of getting kicked out of school. And, <laughs> and your coach Houghton ended up graduating with honors, going to Harvard Business School and, and kind of turning his life around. So that was, for me, seeing that uh, as someone who loved and, and, you know, was passionate about my brother growing and, and finding sort of his best way in life, seeing the impact that coach Houghton had on him, uh, it, it really drew me towards college coaching and seeing how special of an impact you can have on a young person's life. So I love this fact. I didn't know this about you. This explains why we get along. When your parents are out with friends, they also have to do the, well, one of our sons went to Harvard Business School, but the other really loves tennis. Because I know my parents have to do that. My younger brother's an undergrad at Penn as well. So it's like we've got two Ivy Leaguers, but then this son who's got this thing going on. So I feel that as well. Following his passion. He's a great kid. Yeah, exactly. You know, we support him. We love him. He's doing his thing. I've gotten that speech as well. Um, but no, it, it what's so interesting to me always when I talk to coaches who come from this sort of situation is, look, when you have brothers, 
It's a lot of sports. Like, it's an all-guy household. I, you know, A, will I ever be in a relationship? That's a podcast for a different time. But B, should I have a daughter? I'm in trouble because, like, all I know are guy things. And so I'm curious for you as well, being in sports forever. I mean, I know that is a dream for every young boy at some point in their life. But do you feel, you know, that energy, that excitement? Because I know how draining it can be for you as a coach. How, how does that persist where, again, it's no break for you? Every season's a new season. I know what that grind can look like. Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I think it's something that it helps to have other coaches that are passionate and, and they're driving to be their best and, and help their program become the best because, there are dips and, and there are hard moments. There's some gut punches in this industry, you know, not just the losses on the court, but, you know, not getting a kid admitted to school that you sure. are dying to get in or, you know, just, just losing on the recruiting trail to other great programs when you're trying to be elite, um, you know, having, having assistants leave, you know, there's, a, there's all different sorts of, of gut punches in this industry. And I think uh, it can be helpful to have the coaching brotherhood where you, you have those reminders of, of why you're doing it, why you're passionate about it. And then I think it comes back to the relationships. We're in a situation here at Pepperdine where we've got nine guys and a 10th coming that are, they're just such, such special kids and, you know, such special young men that that culture is inspiring to be around every day, uh, watching them improve and get better and, and watching them push each other it's it's hard not to get motivated around that. How close was Casper Zook to coming to school? Wow, we're getting into the hard hit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you brought it up, though. Recruit falls up short. I'm just thinking because I was looking through and doing my research, and like, oh my god, would that have been a pull? Yeah, it's funny. Like we've had a lot of people congratulate us. You know, the team has gone from outside the top 200, and now we're in our fourth year, and I, I think we've got a squad that can contend at a pretty high level this year. Um, but we've, we've had a lot of setbacks, you know, yeah. with Casper not, not ending up uh, in a Waves uniform and, and with Guy then out in turning pro. And mm -hmm. we've, had, we've had some, some tough situations. But I think the main uh, focus over that process has been building a really strong culture. And when you have a program that's bigger than one guy and, and a really strong culture, you can overcome those things. I will tell you, December 10th, I strongly believe Casper Zook was going to be a wave come that January. So that, that we were we were this close. <laughs> I love it. And by the way, since it's rubbing it in, December 10th, my older brother's birthday. So good call by <laughs> you. Um, well, we talk about that program and where you guys are at now. And I don't think it's fair to talk about the 16 and 7 2021 performance without mentioning the fact that you guys were the only undefeated team remaining at the end of the 2020 season. You guys were 11 and 0. And, you know, that's coming off of your first year where look 11 and 13 might have been the worst season you had as in college tennis just period dating back to your time at northwestern north florida notre dame to bounce back the way you guys did in 2020 and to have that ripped away from you let's start there just was that a rallying cry for the team from the beginning because again you look at that 2020 team and you guys you'd beaten minnesota you'd beaten oklahoma and just you'd accumulate some really nice wins does that few you know does that fire how, how do you keep that fire persisting through all the nonsense that was 2020 yeah, those those first two years in general were a whirlwind. Sure. Uh, on a personal level, my wife actually had a skiing accident and broke both legs in oh, December, man. going into that 2020 season when we were undefeated. So, 
I do not have too many memories of that train. Sure. <laughs> uh, having three kids under six and my wife unable to walk, it was a wild. My son's actually, and I, I'm so thankful to Pepperdine, my son's traveled with me to Minnesota because we ran out of family to, to cover. Sure. <laughs> and so, you know, my memories of that year and just the momentum that we were building, it was, it was a two-year process to really start getting healthy uh, values and, and a strong culture. And I give a ton of credit to assistant coach Tass to see <laughs> um, You know, I think when I was looking for an assistant to help build this thing, we knew that we needed someone who had an urgency to attack every day and go get big time recruits and, and really attack development, but also someone who would be able to absorb some of the losses you know we knew that that first year there was going to be some losing involved and and when i took the job my expectation was a four or five year process and i i think the second year um it was a surprise you know when when we we were very close to losing some of those early matches to competitive regional teams uh here in california that are that are great programs but more mid-major level and so to go to go undefeated and then start knocking off a Minnesota who's very tough on their home courts and then an Oklahoma on the road that it, it happened fast. And I, I think it was a bit of a surprise. So the, the big letdown really wasn't, Oh my goodness, we had an undefeated year. How can they take that away from us? It was, man, we we've spent two years trying to get this thing, right. Yeah. We're finally getting a, a, to a spot where practices are awesome. Guys are excited about the culture. You know, kids are improving that, that was where uh it was frustrating to have the, the momentum stop uh it was less about the wins and losses and more about man it's it's been a two-year grind to get to a great place yeah and we're gonna get big picture here and we'll get back to your school obviously in the 2021 season but i'm curious last fall and this is something we've talked about before but now we've got the microphone on so i get to pick your brain publicly uh you know last fall you talk to any sec coach and they'll say playing the hidden duels we realized what a benefit that was for our school now i know you guys got to play a little bit but not really right because there are a bunch of lockdowns and last fall super super tough for so many different schools this fall, a little bit different. You got to dabble in both. You had guys who have success at the individual level. You have guys who had success at the te- uh, in the hidden duels you guys played. I was there in Tennessee watching guys compete against you know Tennessee, Kentucky, Columbia, and having all of this success. I'm curious what you think the role of the fall should be because there's two lines of thinking, right? If the point of the fall is to prepare for the dual match spring— then why not play all hidden duels? Why not get as much team action in as possible to best be prepared at the same time? You know, is it supposed to be the individual season where guys get to think a little bit bigger and just, you know, play outside of their comfort zone? Where are you at? And again, you've played, you've coached. What should the role of the fall in college tennis be? Great question. Love how you're thinking big picture. Uh, My, my, main obsession and focus is is on player development and so i look at the fall just as a piece of that and how can we maximize this semester to help pietro Feline get better daniel leon get better you know uh, tim zeibogel going from you know winning a million matches in a row at a low lineup position and turn into a stud that can play the top half of the lineup and so whatever format that takes i thought this fall uh, the hidden duel for us was special. Um, 
and it wasn't just the format it was the the teams that participated you know tennessee and kentucky and columbia are some of the, the best coached and strongest programs in the country and i i knew going into that weekend what i was most excited about is if we're if we're playing on sunday with a flight in two hours and and we're going into a third set whoever we're playing is going to be ready to, to kill us before they lose that match. <laughs> and and I, I love the competitiveness of that group. I knew, I knew that we weren't going to get anything uh, that weekend. And I, I felt like that was for our program, you know, we've established a winning culture. We built a, a strong, steady group of guys. What is the next step? I think for us, it's to, to try to reach for national contention. And if you want to, if you want to be elite and then you got to go play the elite. And so that, that for us was really what that weekend was about. I, I was really pleased with all of the experiences there, both, both getting to battle as a team, but also then just tons of competitive individual matches that you alluded to some, a lot of three set wars. Um, and so, yeah, we're, that's something we plan to do again. We're going to go to Kentucky next year uh, with, with, another great group of three team, three other teams. And I think it, it really set up our entire fall for success. So here's my thinking, and this is where it gets spicy. If you're going to have an individual season, you double down on it, right? And you move the NCAA tournament to the fall, and you make that a full individual stretch. Now, you talked about the development aspect. Josh Goffey at South Carolina, in a conversation listeners will hear after this one, uh, I reference the idea of I, you know, I would switch the seasons. I would have the team uh, portion of the year be in the fall, and then for developmental purposes, make the spring just a five-month training block for all of these athletes, so that they can play pro events if they want. We can do the individuals, do the regionals, do the all-Americans, et cetera, et cetera, and then have these guys all ready to go come the summer, you know, pro circuit events. There's also the idea he mentioned there thrown in that I never thought about before is that if you switch that, you know, for those second semester seniors who aren't pursuing pro tennis, they actually get a real semester of college. And just currently college tennis players do not experience that because the fall is the fall and then the spring's the dual match season. And so I I will say this, the idea wasn't unappealing to me. The idea of, you know, again, really stressing development because I feel like you guys don't really have the opportunity to build in a training block right now. I know that was a lot thrown into one little rant at you. NCAA individuals moving is its own topic as well, but I'm, I'm curious if that if there's any appeal in that to you. Sure. So I'm going to pick a few spots here to, <laughs> okay. to respond because there were there were a lot of points there. But the 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 best comparison that I see for our sport uh, across other collegiate sports is is men's golf. You know, when you're comparing men's tennis, and so what what I see similar are on the pro tour, both sports compete year round. We don't, it's not a seasonal sport uh, at the pro level. And that means that the way that we train and compete from the juniors all the way through, it isn't with breaks. And, you know, you do take training block times, just like, you know, you might have an off season on the tour of one month before Australia, where you're really getting prepared and, and, crushing your body to, to get ready after a rest period. Um, but in general, our sport is, is a year round competitive sport like, like golf. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we start getting into a situation where we're, we are a semester based sport where it's, as you mentioned, like you have one fall season and then the spring is just training. I would get 
I would be concerned about that being appealing to the best juniors in the world because they want to compete year round and, and it's motivating to compete. You know, I know speaking to our guys, one of the reasons that I think we had a successful fall here is every two or three weeks, we had another big time event and it was so motivating to say, all right, we're going from the Knoxville showdown. Now we're going to go to battle of the Bay. We're going to go to Milwaukee tennis classic. We're going to go to the ITL Americans. What my desire would be, uh, as a young college coach that wants to see college tennis become a premier sport is just to do a better job marketing our premier properties, you know, our premier tournaments. And, and I, when I look at college golf, I see them doing a better job uh, as a sport. You know, they, I'll give you a couple ideas. One would be these PGA Tour U rankings that they're doing where the top 20 guys get access into a mid-level pro tournament and the top five guys get access to a higher level pro tournament and and they have pro tournaments just like we have futures challengers and then atp events sure. they've got corn prairie tour and then pga tour cards and they are working with pro golf to establish college golfers as premier athletes who are marketable for the next level. And I would argue that we have the same level of exposure when it comes to having our own channel on TV, like golf channel and tennis channel. Uh, I think we can do a better job in college tennis of showing the excellence in our sport and marketing the excellence of college tennis instead of being maybe a little more protective uh, of our sport and in a defensive mindset. And so I look at golf and I see that comparison and I, I'm less concerned about do we move the individuals to this, this from the spring to the fall. And I, I would say, are we, you know, I look at the ITA all American event in Tulsa, which was an incredible event at super high level. And it was just, it was really poorly executed when it came to, you know, could you see the matches on live streaming? Could you follow live scores? No and no. Did we feel like it was marketed as future elite pro athletes competing in a college arena? I would argue it was, it was not. Yeah. And so the energy and focus in my mind should be less on, you know, what is the correct format and it should be a lot more on how do we market this and make this more appealing to sponsors and looking at other sports to take great ideas from really smart people and say wait a second that's working i i see these pga tour u rankings everywhere you know and i see the videos and i see the athletes i talked to the guys here we, we won a national championship in men's golf we have several guys turning pro they're really motivated by those rankings and so uh, that's that's just one concept. And I, I think we need to do a better job getting away from format and more into really pushing a, an elite brand. And so, first of all, this is why we're so happy to have you on the show today. I could. This is exactly the conversation I'm looking to have. Um, my my response and my question to you to that would be because I. I would echo your sentiment 1,000%. I think sometimes the problem is that college tennis, which is an international sport, and I think that's an excellent thing, 
the burden of college tennis often falls on the USTA. And when you talk about pro golf and its association with college golf, that's the, you know, that's the PGA. That's the LPGA driving those things. And I think in college tennis, the problem is the relationship's not with the ATP Tour. It's not with the WTA Tour. Well, it's let me, with the let me stop you right there. Beautiful. Why, why not? No. And so is, what you're telling me is that's what, what we're doing wrong? I, I think don't we have people in a position to build relationships beyond the USDA? I, I would argue that, you know, where is college golf building relationships with sponsors and with the PGA and LPGA, as you mentioned, they have leaders who are building those relationships. And so, you know, I'm, there is, I, I realize that in saying those things, this is criti- critical of sure. the leadership that we have right now. I think our leadership is extremely hardworking, extremely dedicated, ex- serving college tennis. What what I'm not, I, I don't think anybody's lazy or stupid or anything like that. I just think our focus is is off. This sure. is my perspective and opinion. The focus being more on enhancing the highest levels of our sport and brand versus protecting. I, I think it's a different mindset, and sure. I think that causes other decisions where we're we're our, our conversation is more we don't want to lose the individual ncaa's how do we protect it and make the fall meaningful that's a different conversation than this ncaa individual event is incredible how do we market it how do we make it as appealing as the us open yeah is that dreaming yes but should we have <laughs> yeah. someone in a leadership position who is dreaming and yeah. believes in the product yeah. i would say yes I would absolutely agree with you, and we've had this conversation before, and why I like the NCAA tournament moving to the fall so much. It just feels like it would be the perfect event for the second week of the U.S. Open. It really does, and I know we've had this conversation. There was a U.S. collegiate event. It wasn't perfectly executed. It was also abandoned pretty quickly, so who knows, two, three, four, five years of investment. Maybe it does pay off, but to your point— all right. If when you have them back and back to back in the fall, I mean, we love them. The hardcore fans love them. But sometimes fall Nats and the All Americans, it feels a bit duplicitous, right? It's like, didn't we just do this a month ago? And so, you know, again, it, it it's interesting to me if you're trying to highlight the individuals, if you're trying to give them these pro, you know, trying to create a connection for pro fans into the college game. It just always comes back to wild cards, right? Like make there some carrots, put there something at the end to make it worthwhile for these players competing. I guess it's good that uh, all of this is to say the point I'm trying to build to here is we saw a lot of pro events on campus throughout the course of this fall. And that certainly felt like a victory for a bunch of different players. Is that an avenue to do this? Or is it even more just, no, you got to double down on the marketing of the college events. Yeah, I think your your mindset on wild cards being a huge motivator and carrot i think is accurate i've seen that from my time at wilson with pro tennis and seeing people sign contracts with an octagon or an img because of their access to wild cards because of the tournaments that they organize and run all the way through it being a huge recruiting tool for having wild cards on your campus when you're running events i mean those those are you see that happening at all levels of our sport and i think connecting that back to the leadership of college tennis, if we feel like these are hugely motivating, mm-hmm. are we working with the ATP, with the ITF, with the USTA and other governing bodies to show how much college tennis matters and maybe have more access to wildcards? 
I, I clearly they are a powerful, powerful tool. And you, you know, we have some incredible arguments right now about college tennis and how valid it is as a pathway into pro tennis. When you look at Mackie McDonald, Nakashima, Cam Nori, these guys that are making waves in pro tennis, I think there is some momentum that's possible to capitalize on. And may maybe the most powerful thing that we eventually need in college tennis is having someone really compete for slams mm -hmm. at that next level to get the ATP's attention. But I think there's enough depth coming out of college tennis and enough of an impact on the top 100 that there should be some assistance to those guys. You know, a Nuno coming from Mississippi State. Yeah. He, he deserves support based on his level of play in college tennis. Is he American? Does he deserve USTA support? Maybe not. But ATP support should follow college tennis excellence. And someone like Nuno, without maybe the financial resources to access wild cards or high level tournaments quickly, shouldn't have to slog through futures for two years. And I, I do think that that responsibility shouldn't just fall on coaches. It, it also falls on the leadership of our sport. Yeah, I think all of those points are completely fair. And I mean, look at Borna Gojo this weekend in Davis Cup, killing it. Three top 75 wins. That's a former NCAA finalist who like, where's the where's the hype? I agree. It's just like, this is the first time we get to see him compete on this stage. It doesn't feel right. Um, so I would echo all of those sentiments. I do want to get into how we make the game more appealing to fans as well a bit later. But my last serious question for you here, because we talk about college tennis as a development to the pros. And obviously right now you're in that time block, eight hour rule and 25 competitive days. That's what governs all of you. Obviously, there will be abuses if you open things up entirely. But my question to you is you guys want to get pro caliber players down on your campus in Malibu. You want to convince them college tennis is the pathway for them. Are those numbers, eight-hour rule, 25 competitive dates, is that enough to reflect the modern demands of the sport? It's a great question, and I think that it just goes back to your culture. Sure. You know, if you have if you have seven or eight guys that are fully committed to, to pursuing pro tennis that, you know, I will tell you this fall, I did the least amount of coaching that I've ever done in college sure. tennis because I'm, I'm supporting great players that are pushing other great players. And so if you remove the coaches as you need to during the eight hour time or during even the dead week time, when you're going into your finals, the players, that are serious about pursuing their goals. And if they're surrounded by other players that are serious about pursuing high goals, they're going to keep pushing and they're going to keep going after it with or without a coach. And so, you know, I, I'd compare it to someone like Alex Lawson, who's out there on tour and grinding and, you know, he's 110, 115 on tour. It's not too easy for him to find coaching or, <laughs> you know, or training this, this time of year either. And so having seven or eight other like-minded individuals that are with you on a day-to-day -day basis in my opinion is far more valuable than a great coach I, I i would say those guys are pushing each other and making each other better and it the, the restrictions from the ncaa are are not relevant to holding them back it's a very good answer i like that answer that said i do think it's ridiculous and given 
Just you can fill out this form online, and yeah, there would be abuses. A, co- a player should never have to be able or have the situation where he goes up to a coach and say, like, Adam, can I get you just for an hour on court? I really need some help with my forehand. And you just have to say, sorry, you can't. Like, I just think that's ridiculous. Like, that to me makes no sense. It is It is the most frustrating time of year for me. And <laughs> yeah. it's for, that, for that very reason, you know, I when you get into this to, to help and support, young men and then you're you're sort of handcuffed it, it's mm-hmm. extremely frustrating but pulling back and seeing the bigger picture i i do think when you have an, a, a really healthy environment if, if it's one or two guys that are trying to be special and they don't have anyone supporting then it gets very difficult but when there's seven or eight guys that are pushing together they'll find a way yeah and by the way i meant to mention this earlier next time you need some babysitting help just the flight to Malibu. That's all I need. I'm there. <laughs> however many days you need. Um, if my wife is listening to this, you're, you're going to be passing on your cell phone and you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. No, that's, that's my strike zone for my humor. So that's just like perfect uh, for me. But, you know, talking about the guys you have, and this is how we can pivot back to your 2021 season. And, you know, we love to talk match calculus here at Cracked Rackets. How do you find your way to four? Because ultimately that's the thing everything is, every coach is searching for. Well, last year, pretty clear path to four for you guys. You know, you're going to win at two. You're going to get a win at six. Hopefully we get the doubles point. And then it's, you know, or I should say pretty clear path to three. Like you guys know we're going to get to three points. We can play just about anyone competitively. Did you guys feel that stress? Like, did you feel that as a team? And how do you guys respond to that to the point where, again, throughout the course of the season, you know, you guys are getting some impressive wins. You beat USC 4-3. And, you know, again, you're going on the road and you're beating teams and just having all of this success. Do you feel the stress of that match calculus? How are the guys responding? You, you guys are a lot smarter than I am when you're thinking about the match calculus. I mean, just using the word calculus for college tennis. Come on, man. <laughs> we, we are, look... It's funny, Tass and I, I, we speak a lot about the lineup and we speak a lot about, and, and Tass earlier this fall, you know, said, hey, like, got to get somebody that we feel really confident in at, at two. Mm-hmm. And the way that I really approach that, and I'm not trying to be corny here, but I, <laughs> I feel like we had going into our regional tournament where we have USC, UCLA, some Arizona, Arizona State, great teams, great coaches. San Diego's a great team. I I felt like we had eight guys that could win that regional tournament. And so, you know, it ended up being two guys that going into regionals, I would have said they're probably not playing one or two for us right at that moment. And they end up meeting in the finals and then they both have a great fall nationals. And I think if you look throughout our fall, you know, Danny was the MVP of the Knoxville showdown. He and Linus won uh, the Milwaukee tennis classic. Tim had an unbelievable battle of the Bay with multiple top 50 wins. Eric went from the pre qualies all the way to the main draw of all Americans. And you also had two other guys go from qualies to Maine. You know, then we have Pietro and, and Raji win regionals. Pietro has an unbelievable fall nationals. It's just, there's a lot of, depth on this team and where I'm concerning myself is can we get six guys playing legit number one or number two tennis for an elite top five team Mm -hmm. that's a high goal and (laughs) I I don't know what the timeline on that is that might not be a goal that we can accomplish by this spring but I do believe that's a goal that at, at Pepperdine is attainable and the timeline is is not 
relevant for me as long as we keep plugging away towards that. And I, if you need comparison on that, you look at a team like Florida last year who won it all. I, I don't think Ben Shelton was a really good five. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Blaze was a really good four. You know, I think they had studs throughout that lineup. And so college tennis is really a, a it's a it's a battle where you're trying to create as many studs as you possibly can. And I, I believe at Pepperdine we have the resources, we have the facilities, we have the tradition where it's it's possible to build out. A, a lineup full of studs and I so sh- i swear to god riffis is going to start the year at four just on a side <laughs> note like hey, coach shelton's going to sneak that in but no you're right i didn't mean to to cut you off there but i do want to talk about those guys because and you you alluded to two of them there and we're, we're going to get to daniel is he the best player in california i'm going to let you set me straight um but you talk about pietro you talk about tim they end the season on nine-match winning streaks in singles. They win their last nine-match decisions. And obviously, how do you capitalize on that success? Well, you look this fall. Pietro goes 14-4. and four, And as you mentioned, an incredible national fall tournament for him. Now for Tim, I know you had him step up, especially in those hidden duels. He's playing top three in the lineup. And, you know, he goes eight and six, which is still a solid fall. Uh, what clicked for those two guys? And, you know, you talk about the depth. I have said this, and I'll say it here. I think you got have seven guys who will kill it at five and six singles. Like, no doubt about that. But two, three, four, like, that is going to be the question for you guys from going, you know, top 20 school to being a top 10 team. You know, what is the growth you've seen from those guys? Is there two guys who obviously are looking to make a push to fill those roles? Yeah, it's it's with Pietro and and with Tim, I think it's less about momentum from last season. And I think it's, it's more about just the self-belief as they tennis is a level-based sport. It it is. And so you see this with someone like Cam Norrie, he establishes himself on tour as a top hundred player. Now he's establishing himself as a top 50 player. Next level is being a top 20 player. And now he's reaching a level where he's winning in Indian Wells, you know, and and he's competing. We'll see this next year, but I would, I would argue he's going to be relevant in the second week of slams. And so we're trying to make those level jumps at, at a different level right now. And the target with someone like Pietro is, can we get him to become a challenger level player by the time he leaves Pepperdine? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a huge goal. And, you know, I, I don't shy away from that being a huge goal, but he's gone from being an 11-7 UTR to a 13-2 UTR, and we've got a couple more years with him. And so, you know, that it's less about, hey, he won nine matches in a row at six. Can we make him a good four? Mm-hmm. And, and our, our target's more long-term than that. Sure. And probably greedier. <laughs> <laughs> and so the same thing with Tim Zeitvogel. I mean, he's a guy who is either going to be the CEO of a fortune 500 company, (laughs) or he's going to be a pro tennis player. And I think with him, my commitment with Tim is, is to help him develop weapons where he can be relevant on the tour. He is, he's able to play continental defense and finish around the net better than anybody in college tennis. And he was able to do that when he walked in the door, we don't get any credit for it for the hands (laughs) and the ability to see the court. But can we turn his serve into a massive weapon? Can we turn the forehand into a weapon where he can step into the center of the court and finish, not just make an approach where he's set up for a volley? And so 
I think our mindset on on those guys is, yeah, with Pietro, he'll tell you, we were not real impressed with him winning nine matches in a row at the end of the year. I mean, we were very hard on him throughout sure. that entire spring, and, and we were urgent about getting better this fall. And I wasn't too surprised to see what he produced because we saw that level every day in, increase and increase and improve and improve. And when that happens, the results will come. And, you know, again, looking at the rest of your team, you talked about the competitiveness, 90 and 35 in singles this fall. That's a hell of a record. You guys are winning 72% of your matches. It's success across the board, whether it's Daniel, whether it's Rogers, just again, everyone's feel uh, seemingly uh, feeling this success. What do you do in the month between now and the start of the dual match season to capitalize on that success, to try and figure out where the pieces fit and again, how are the guys after, you know, a pretty successful 2021 campaign that saw you go 16 and 7 overall, saw you very, very close to beating USC in the second round of the NCAA tournament? And, you know, obviously. You got to bring that up. You got to bring that well, up. Well, I brought up the win. I brought up the win. Did I not? Uh, so, you know, got to hit both sides. That was, that was a gut punch. You know, yeah. losing, a, losing a 13 11, 14 12 breaker with, with Danny uh, at three. That was a tough one. But. Um, look, I learned a lot from, from pair, you know, being here with the women's program, coach Michael Beard, who's, they won a national championship for men's golf. And what I think those guys have done a tremendous job with is just relentless competing, you know, pair has got a group right now where he's got six, maybe even seven girls that could play one. And I, I don't think he's shy about letting the girls know that you know hey when you go back in december <laughs> there, there's a lot of good players around here and we've got an elite group and you know i i know that was something that made last spring really special for our golf program is they had seven guys that could have been starters and they were battling every single day and in all the qualifiers week in week out they were trying to 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 be a guy that could be relied on in the lineup and i think we're in a similar situation with our squad with arrow coming in January, we've got eight guys that could play, as you mentioned at five or six against anybody in the country. And so I think our guys know the situation. We're not, we're, we're honest about the, the realities of how competitive it is. And, you know, I think you see with how our guys are, are competing and playing matches and how hungry they are to train that, that they're aware of the competitiveness. And I think it's inspiring for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious because I know another part of the lineup. I feel like you guys probably feeling pretty good in singles. Feel like you can find three wins against anyone. The question always, of course, is do we have to find three or do we have to find four? And that comes down to the doubles point. And, you know, you look for you guys last season. You played eight doubles teams, which is smack dab in the average, by the way. It's everyone's usually seven to ten. I think the winner right now is Dancer with 14 teams last year, which bravo to him. That's, that's just impressive. Um, but I'm curious when you look, obviously, for your guys this fall, I believe you played ten different teams. And obviously that's a testament to giving your guys a bunch of different chances to compete. But, you know, overall, you look at last season's number, I think you guys 26 and 21 in dual matches in across the board in doubles. That's fine. But, you know, how big of a focus has doubles been this fall? I'm sure it's nice to have the full fall to work on it. But, you know, wh- how important is that doubles point to your guys this season? You really are doing the calculus. I do. <laughs> <laughs> 
So look, I've got to get better there. You know, I, I take full responsibility for our doubles just hasn't been good enough. Former like, NCAA doubles alternate. Come on. <laughs> that doesn't have a, a real a real strong ring to it. <laughs> alternate. So, I, yeah, I, I think during, during my time at Notre Dame, we had five teams in the top 10. I had a top 10 doubles team when I was at North Florida. I had some success in doubles as a player. I, I feel confident about our ability to produce high-level doubles. Uh, but it, it hasn't clicked to the level it needs to click to here. Uh, you know, when you look at our singles this fall, I think we will have five or six guys in, in the national rankings at the end of the fall. And um, we had a, a several guys break out and, and play at an extremely high level and, and show significant development. And I think our doubles is, is behind. And so it, it was a focus and, and internally uh, I saw some big improvement as we got to the end of our 20 hour season. Uh, but it remains to be seen whether we can produce at the, the level we need to produce this spring. And I think with our schedule, there's, there's no margin for error. You know, we're, we're playing at Stanford, the first match of the year, we've got Arizona, Arizona State, USC, UCLA at home. We've got Texas and Harvard at home. We're on the road against Oklahoma state, Tulsa, Oregon, you know, we, we, the schedule is is heavy lifting and so you know you've been around college tennis long enough to know that if if you're going to play elite squads with without breaks like that you better win some doubles points and so i think that's something that you know our coaching staff marty redlicky knows a thing or two about doubles and so you know between tess marty and myself that's a huge concentration as we go into the spring and and how do we produce at a higher level in that arena he should go instead of volunteer assistant. He should put on the page doubles consultant because I just think that sells a little bit better on the resume. Like that. Just gives a little boost of confidence there. You know, in a in a pro set to six, no ad. Maybe <laughs> that double specialist gives the little bit that we need to make that thirty all return. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Marty needs confidence. He's not the most confident man, and so oh. I think yeah, this would be a big boost for him, right? No, uh, yeah, and so, but it it you reference the schedule, and obviously this year it's got to be nice for all coaches just to not have scheduling restrictions like they did last season, but. I'm curious for you, you know, again, you've coached Power 5, you've coached North Florida, now here at Pepperdine. What led to the scheduling strategy? You mentioned some of the names, and I'll repeat them here now, but, you know, Stanford's, uh, you know, you're going to Stanford, Arizona's coming to town, you're going to Oklahoma State, Arizona State, USC, UCLA, Harvard, Texas, they're all coming to town. Uh, Why give, you know, even Penn as well, I don't want to sell them short too, that is no easy task. What led to that scheduling strategy? Well, I think it's it's this mission to be an elite national program, and so understanding you know in our conference, our conference is is improving steadily, and and there's some great coaches in the conference. But when it when it comes from a national ranking perspective, San Diego has been the program that's been a top twenty five stalwart, and and other than that, we really have have not had other programs hit that ranking threshold. Mm-hmm. And so, if we want to if we want to be an elite top ten program, we're going to need opportunities. And so, I think last year you saw us going on the road, and the year before that on the road, and it took a little bit of time. Now now we're in the fourth year where we've built enough credibility as a program, and also 
have 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 traveled enough where we've gotten an opportunity to to bring some great programs to Malibu. And I think if you ask any coach in the country, if, if you can get elite programs on your home courts, it's, you don't want to turn that down. And so we'll we'll take that opportunity. I think it's great for our for our team. I I don't see it. I think it's a it's a no lose situation. You know, it's it's going to help our guys develop individually. It's going to give us a better sense of where exactly we are as a program. If we're able to win some of those matches, I think it gives us huge confidence, and and obviously it, it puts us in a different ranking threshold. And it also is is much easier to build a community around playing home matches against USC, UCLA, Harvard, Texas, Stan. You know, these kinds of matches that there's a buzz around those matches in Malibu. And so getting fans out, you know, those are matches that, that people want to see. Who are you more likely to face twice USC or Harvard? <laughs> I think that's going to be a four, three match. And yeah. I think it's, I think Harvard is, is very good. And I think they, they've been building for some time and, and this is a year where a lot is coming together. Mm-hmm. And I, I also really respect the the guys that are in leadership positions uh on that team you know the the players themselves um and they're they're going against a really strong usc team that that's adding more in january and it's it's on usc's home courts uh, and i think it's going to be a war so we've got we've got our work cut out for us uh to play a great program in in the in the lead up to that but if we're able to get through that first match i i think we're going to play somebody who's coming off a 4-3 battle yeah, that's the communications department just emailed me. That was a good answer. Um, but <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, well, with that said, and I want to throw some fun things at you now uh, as well. But you are one per because I've asked all these coaches, Power Five coaches, don't yell at me. Uh, this question, as we've done this interview series about the five hundred rule, and for those that don't know, listening to this five hundred rule, you have to be five hundred or better to get into the NCAA tournament. Now, a lot of the Power Five coaches, pretty unanimously are done with that rule. Now, there's a couple here and there, but I'm curious, again, having coached across levels, what are, where, what's your stance? I know they waived it last season. Would you like to see it stay or would you like to see it go? I, I think it's a bit archaic, and I would enjoy seeing that go. You know, my one of my close buddies is the Notre Dame volleyball coach, and they just finished 13 and 15, and we're a top 35 RPI <laughs> program, and, and they're not dancing. And I, I think, you know, the consequences of conferences growing and having to play a mandatory conference schedule where instead of it being 10 opponents, you're playing 14, 15 matches. It it gives less margin uh, to build in matches where you're more sure to to win that match. And so I I would just, I'm not a huge fan of playing double and triple headers to find your way to 500. I think scrambling at the end of the season is not a great look for our sport. And so uh, to me, I don't see a huge positive from the 500 rule. I don't think people are complaining when some, when a great team finishes 13 and 15 and they've got the wins to, to put their RPI at top 30, top 35. I just, I, I don't think that that should be punished. Yeah, I agree with you. I just it it does feel like, and again, it encourages you guys to play a Texas, to play a Harvard, to play USC, Stanford's of the world, and not have to worry about that. Those are matches that players love, fans yeah. love, coaches love. You know who who doesn't want to see Pepperdine and Texas battle? Who doesn't want to see Pepperdine and Harvard battle? And I I give a lot of credit to to Coach Rube. You know they're 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 mostly an indoor team during the early part of spring and coming out to California and battling us on our courts. And 
those are the kind of matches that should be rewarded. You know, hey, this this coach is willing to put his team on the line and and battle. And and we're doing the same thing. You know, we could we could have used that January weekend to play some warm up matches and and get the season going. And we're playing Stanford on the road and and playing Arizona at home in the same weekend. And I don't think you can play two more competitive squads to to start a season. Yeah, I agree with you. I loved Arkansas Gate like whatever it was three years ago when they played nine in a row that was just delightful it wasn't nine in a row but don't let uh, the facts get in the way of a good story but you know i'm sure it also helps you from a recruiting standpoint to say hey we're playing the best of the best and with that in mind something i've offered all of these coaches and i want to offer you that same opportunity now because i know for our listeners whether it's parents players whatever it may be uh this may be their first time hearing your voice and so i'm curious coach shackley give me the pitch why should i come out to malibu why should I be a Pepperdine wave? Well, you already offered to come to Malibu. To yeah, that's true. I'm so <laughs> you don't want to come to Malibu to play college tennis. I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think we we're unique in the fact that Pepperdine is a smaller school mm-hmm. and it's competing on a big time level. And so we we have kids take visits, you know, where they might go to Florida, Texas A and M, and then come out to to Pepperdine, and it's different. Our our facilities for athletics in general are smaller. The campus size is smaller. We're a dry campus with Christian values. And so the experience is different. And what we've attracted, we've attracted young men that are very serious about balancing pro tennis with a great academic degree. And I think it's a really good fit for our coaching staff. The way that we mentor is a little bit quieter, a little bit more individual focused. And so the fit of the university with our coaching staff. Now we're also looking for a fit with the particular student athlete, someone that doesn't need to do, you know, a dorm party on a Thursday night, but is more interested in being serious about pro tennis. And we've attracted some big time players. And I think when you get elite athletes that attracts other elite athletes and, and that's really what's happened. And that's where the momentum has come from. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's always helpful to say, you see that beach? Yeah, that's a walk. Um, And so I'm sure that doesn't hurt also. But I'm curious for you because obviously you look at your roster and one that stands out right away, you bring in an Andrew Rogers from Tennessee and who doesn't love that opportunity. But of course, you also bring in freshmen uh, to your team as well. And, you know, uh, I'm curious for you how and in particular, I know it's highlighted right now and the depth in college tennis is better than it's ever been because we have five high school graduate classes in college tennis and that's only going to last for three more years. That said, it does feel like the transfer portal's been destigmatized, that it's no longer, oh, this school, this coach sucks, oh, this player sucks. It's just like sometimes fits aren't the best thing. I'm curious for you now how you balance those two things from a recruiting standpoint, knowing, as you mentioned, it's a five-year plan. We want to bring in the right athletes. We want to develop them. We want to have our guys here on campus versus, hey, let me go get a Rogers. Let me go get a five, six singles to fill this gap immediately. How do you balance those two things from a recruiting standpoint? That's a great question and, and one that I'm wrestling with every day. You know, and I I don't know that it's a black and white answer. You know, do you hold a big scholarship through the end of May, hoping that someone hits the portal who can, you know, transform your program? And there are, you know, without speaking about particular players, you look at the fall in college tennis and big time transfers made significant impacts on, you know, elite top 10 programs. And 
you know, Rogers is a great example for us, you know, winning our Southwest regional is no easy task with the, with the teams that are involved. And, you know, he's having to beat multiple top 25 players and in the end, in the finals, beating a top 10 college player in order to get it done, sorry, in the semis. And so I, I think the difference of the transfer portal, the impact on college tennis is enormous uh, where we are distilling all of these decisions and coming down to is, is fit. And that's where an Andrew Rogers, I mean, what a special kid he, he's pursuing screenwriting. He's got an, an unbelievable family. They've, they have come, you know, we had 10 family members at our regional tournament that rented a, a house in Malibu. What a cool experience for their extended family. Um, and so much fun. But I think as we go forward, it will come down to comparing an elite, uh, an elite junior mm-hmm. who, you know, whether it's ATP points already or playing in the ITF grand slams or, you know, being a UTR 13 and above that level of junior versus someone who's produced at an extremely high level in college tennis. I think when you're making those decisions, it's less black and white and more coming down to, Hey, is this young man, someone that I get really motivated to wake up and coach every day? When did, when did you realize accounting was such a big part of college tennis coaching? Because it literally is like balancing your four and a half. It's crazy. Yeah, I think that's a skill that is is severely underrated when you're not involved in college tennis. And as you get into head coaching, managing the 4.5 is is such a massive part of what we do. And, and just using it well and representing your values and mm-hmm. rewarding kids uh while also you know building for the future is, is is a constant juggling balancing act and so yeah it is it is a lot of accounting but we, we're getting to a point here at pepperdine and and this is a privileged situation but we can be extremely picky mm-hmm. and i i think when i when we're making a decision tass and i are, are narrowing it down and making a decision on a recruit we we are thinking about protecting this special environment that that exists right now. I mean, practice is so fun to to be a part of right now. And I think when you have guys working their asses off, but also having a great time. And when you have guys who respect each other and compete with each other and battle each other, but then at the same time, really enjoy each other off the court, that kind of environment is, is worth protecting, you know? And so that's when we're evaluating new recruits, that's something that we spent a lot of time making sure that the fit is correct. Yeah. No, last few for you, I promise. NIL, how does that factor into recruiting moving forward? How does that factor into college tennis moving forward? We talked about the advertising earlier. I mean, Andrew Rogers, that's a pretty good face for a tennis program coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think every coach that, that uh, is looking to be elite is, is always looking at ways to uh, be creative and mm-hmm to dream for the future and and also prepare for what this college tennis and college sports environment is going to look like uh going forward and i think for us you know malibu has some pretty unique advantages with with the wealth and the success that's is here and and la being so close and so for us it's going to be balancing you know pepperdine as an athletic department is not going to ever be one of the top 20 budgets in college athletics. Uh, and so we're going to have to be creative and, and use Malibu and, and some of those resources to, to find our way forward and, and to compete at a really high level recruiting. And so for us, it comes down to 
how can you recruit the best players in the world? How can you create the best players in the world developmentally once they're here? And I think the development piece is always going to be the core of our program. Um, but you cannot ignore NIL and the impact it's going to have on recruiting or else you're going to get left behind. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I think the Achilles heel with all the benefits with Pepperdine, and it's clear it, it, you, both you and Pear suffer. It's just like, it's going to be great, but we don't coach doubles. Like, that's what I've learned about, you know, these Pepperdine <laughs> teams for both you and Pear. That's clearly the takeaway here. But um, He's the biggest sandbagger. <laughs> so, you know, you, you you go to Pear on a Thursday in February and you say, like, how's it going, coach? You know, he's like, we suck. You know, doubles yeah. is horrible. I should be fired tomorrow. You know, <laughs> In fact, they should never let me coach again. And then that weekend, you know, they go and beat North Carolina and Michigan on the road. Yeah, it's just the guy, the guy is the biggest sandbagger in, in college sports. And you can tell him I said that. So I, I've learned that, you know, with pair, what I, how, what an amazing opportunity for me to just be able to watch him train and, and improve these girls. And also the way that he recruits, he, he does not settle. Mm -hmm. And I I'm so impressed with his ability to hold the line and wait for, uh, you know, young women that can compete for a title because mm -hmm. it, in our sport, it's, there's so much pressure. Hey, I've got an open spot. I've got a kid interested. Hey, there's 60 ITF that that's pretty darn good. I better take them. And, and pair is, he knows the level and, and he knows where, where the standard is for them to compete for championships. And, and he does not settle. So he, he's, he's a pretty special person, but if you ask him, they're, they're always terrible. And, and <laughs> he legitimately texted me and I know he wasn't serious, but he kind of was serious. He was like, do you have a doubles lineup for me? He was like, come on, just like I'm, I'm taking all requests or suggestions at this point. And I was like, yeah, play me. Um, but, you know, that well, you didn't know they, they played a doubles lineup going into the tournament last year where none of the teams, they submitted a record yeah. to the NCAA for consideration where the three teams were zero and zero, zero and zero, zero and zero. And I heard them dying laughing as they submitted the lineup. And I walked over to his office. I said, what are you guys going nuts about? And he's like, I can't believe Pete just talked me into this. We just submitted, <laughs> we just submitted a doubles lineup. And, and I, I thought it was a joke. And then they, they, you know, they beat UCLA in doubles in the quarters. They beat yeah. North Carolina in doubles in the, in the semis and their match point in the finals against Texas in doubles. Don't bring that up to him with Lady having the volley on top of the net. But I think it just, yeah, we, we, we both have, have, shared our miseries with doubles and trying to trying to get that figured out so we'll, we'll have to fly you out here not just to babysit but to run some yeah. double drills and get us going uh, again i'll evoke i'll make, do my best robbie weiss impression you'll be <laughs> you'll be uh thrilled with that but all right with all that said let's have some fun here down the home stretch and i know we're gonna hit the hour mark so i'll let you go but um first let's start college tennis format and just again the excitement around it because i know you think about these things first of all right off the bat I think the most fun thing you can do to get fans engaged right away, coin toss, out, point, head coach versus head coach, one point, <laughs> drop and hit, winning coach decides the serving arrangement. Tell me that's not better for the game. I mean, Rodidi would have to play in the hat. <laughs> in reality, it's just like we're all chipping and charging who can get to the net first because like, there are no passing shots being hit. 
Look, I, I love I love your mindset. I, I think the fan engagement piece is so necessary. And, and I think a lot about how do we get fans out on the court in between doubles and singles? Ooh. How do we take that five, 10 minute break and, and get them in a contest or hitting some balls or staying engaged? Um, I, I think there's there's a lot of room. You know, I went to Thanksgiving at my twin brother's house and he rented a bouncy house outside <laughs> And there were 20 kids under 10 years old in that thing the entire weekend. I didn't even know some of the kids. They were just neighbors coming and they saw that big thing, you know, in the front yard. And it it just got me thinking, like, how do we not have that going at college tennis matches? You know, get a bouncy house out there get an environment where it's more of a carnival, a festival, a fun, fun atmosphere for families to come to. And, you know, great tennis will always be the core of it, but more engaging uh, activities happening off the court. It's a must. If Brad Dancer's hearing this, that huge soccer field across from the Atkins Tennis Center, bouncy houses, NCAAs. By the way, that's the most Harvard Business School thing that you've, you know, I've heard from your brother here in this podcast. That just sounds. <laughs> my older brother would do the same thing. So yeah, I, uh, that's great. No, that that's awesome. Well, it's fascinating to hear you talk about that gap because that leads me to my next question. And I know we've gotten rid of the warmups, and I do think maybe throwing in just serves and returns, like that wouldn't be the worst thing at the start of doubles, just like, hey, because there's 15 minutes between the end of practice, national anthem, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, the doubles point to me is the most exciting thing in all of tennis. Wimbledon final, Australian Open final, I don't care. It's a 40-minute Russian roulette rat race, three matches. So you can follow everything pretty easily, and just every point matters. That said, after that doubles point ends – respectfully like the next hour does not matter it's first sets and yeah they can be exciting but it that's where you lose the engagement and so to me the solution is either a you flip the format back singles first and then it's a sudden death doubles and that is i'm all for that or b simultaneous starts and i think if you do simultaneous starts it opens it up to other ideas i can get into uh but i'm curious if you feel that lull if you're concerned about it from a fan standpoint because i do think it's noticeable i I think it's for sure noticeable and you know i i think there's another solution though and that's you know comparing us to a golf or a baseball where you know not every hole is the 18th hole not every (laughs) inning is the ninth inning with a closer Mm -hmm. you know what are what are those sports doing to compel a fan in the in the in the mid part of the competition you know and i think for for us can we somehow give more attention and more highlight to break points dues points you know changes of momentum and i think you guys do a great job of that when you're doing uh the broadcast and saying like now we're going over to court four let's let's really highlight this and i think it makes it much more fun and compelling for the average fan. Um, and I, th- I think that's a unique aspect of college tennis is maybe on court one, it's 5-1 in the first set, and it's a drubbing, and it's not compelling. But at the exact same time, you've got a deuce point 4-3 for a guy to get back into the match on court four. Uh, that's something that we can take advantage of. And, and then the second part, I would say, is that's where we as a sport need to do a better job uh, with what's happening outside. So can we serve a meal? You know, Grant Chen is a master of this and, and just does an incredible job. But can, can we somehow engage with those fans and say, okay, now we're going to take this 30 minutes where the first sets are starting 
and grab the fans attention we're going to do something off the court here and then we're coming back with a sandwich and and you know <laughs> kids are having a great time and we're watching the end of the first set and we're seeing this thing really unfold and get exciting down the stretch yeah i think that's a good approach my other argument would be simultaneous starts and let's say it's well, I, I do like the idea of making all of the doubles go back to one point, playing the singles first, and then let's say it's 4-2 after singles. You've got three double sets to play, and it's sudden death, and it comes down to doubles. That, I'm excited just thinking about it. But I do also think there's something to just, hey, you know, we're always worried about brushing up against two-and-a-half, three-hour mark. Let's go simultaneous starts. Let's play, maybe it's four singles and one doubles. And you say, well, we're worried about typecasting those guys as doubles players. Here's what you do. You play the double set, you, whether it's two out of three or you know a pro set to eight instead. You play that, and then both of those players become eligible as substitutions into the match. So we are now giving each coach a substitution available. Everything's consecutive. By the time the doubles is done, you know we're in the smack dab midway, end of second sets and singles. Any appeal in that to you? No. <laughs> 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 Look, I, I think where I'm concerned and, and you know, I love the the attention that world team tennis gets. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think Davis Cup has really tried hard to reinvent itself. But I'm concerned, you know, when you when you deviate too far away from a pure reflection sure. of the highest levels of our sport. And I think world team tennis, this is just one person's opinion. I think it's gotten there. Uh, instead of engaging the fan, number one, it's confusing. And number two, it just, it feels maybe a little bit tacky. Sure. And so the goal for me is like, you know, I compare when we played TCU here, you, you guys were a part of that match. Mm -hmm. Famba is playing Den Outen yeah. and the match came down, you know, Oatsbox served for the match. Den Outen had a match point on his serve. Shelton was five all in the third, had break points all simultaneously. That Famba match, there were no gaps yeah. for for two and a half hours. You know, the the one break of serve was going to be a set, mm -hmm. and both guys knew it. All the fans knew it. You know, you knew it as you were watching, and so you're tracking every thirty all situation, every deuce point situation, and, and to me, that's that's why I continue to return to marketing our elite athletes and marketing our most compelling superstars as being the needed avenue towards college tennis becoming a bigger property on college campuses it comes back to like what do fans want to watch are they are they compelled by you know one one guy drubbing another guy no are they compelled by you know two guys that aren't elite no it, it's compelling to watch a match like that where two guys are not giving one inch for two and a half hours, it, it draws you to that kind of match. And so I, I think that's that's why I'm so passionate about highlighting those kinds of players, you know, watching a Nuno when he's competing uh, and, and he's battling some of the top players in college tennis. Like, how can you not admire that kid? I mean, he's just unbelievably focused, unbelievably tough, you know, unbelievably clutch. And yeah. I think those, those kinds of players uh, deserve – more attention more marketing more support and so i i think that gets back to format for me too where i i'm more drawn to 
highlighting those kinds of players than I am a breaking breaking the format and, and trying to appeal to the regular fan through format. I think the regular fans will be drawn to excellence. So does that mean you're out on lawless lineups as well? Away team gives you, here's the six guys I'm playing. Home team can match up however they deem fit. Parody is the name of the game. We want home teams winning. We want crowds to see victories. Like I do think, and look, you're all playing with your lineups anyways. You all meaning coaches. Like let's just throw that out the window. Home team, you match up however you want. We'll get formal when it's NCAA time. But is that does that compromise the competition? I think these kind of ideas are really fun. And UTR is another example of just, hey, let's just go straight by UTR and take the games out of it. Hey, let's go straight. Let's make a college ranking that goes down to a thousand and you've got to go straight by your college ranking. Sure. You know, uh, Ty Tucker is, is the absolute master of, of creating the, the lineup that gives his team the best chance to win. Tracy's playing six this year. I don't know if you guys know within the rules. Um, and he's a master of that. And when I hear him talk about how he sets and creates his lineup, you know, it, it blows me away how how much depth of thought goes into that. Mm-hmm. I, I have a hard time seeing a Florida lineup that doesn't an order of the Florida lineup that doesn't win the tournament last year. Sure. And so for me, I'm more drawn to we, we got to develop the best six to eight players in college mm-hmm. tennis. And whatever lineup is out there, I think it's compelling for the fans. And I think those kinds of ideas are really fun, and it wouldn't bother me at all. The game of how my lineup gets on a sheet of paper is not is not a, <laughs> something that I feel I'm particularly strong in or okay. that I feel like is one of the most important aspects of coaching. I think the most important aspect of coaching is recruiting and developing great players. I like it. Last serious question and then one more goofball for you. A timeout because so often – you know, again, there you can feel 15, 20 minutes a match gets away from you as a coach. If you had the opportunity, I'm calling my one timeout. We're bringing all the guys in for 90 seconds on the fan board. We're going to have the crowd go nuts during these 90 seconds to get the guys reamped. Then we're going to send them back out. Should every coach have a timeout throughout the course of a match? I, I think it would be hilarious just seeing the different personalities of that timeout. I know. <laughs> 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 especially if it's across all six courts yeah. <laughs> you know you, you you go to a place like michigan indoors and, and yeah. all six and you got steiny bringing them in on the one side <laughs> i think i think it could be a really fun thing um i i don't know how reasonable it is but i i think it would be a blast yeah these are the things i'm thinking about uh well then last question for you is daniel the best college tennis player in california no <laughs> you know our goal is that he gets there by may and sure. i think he's got a shot uh but i think august holmgren you know producing at the level he produced i think look daniel beating jomo uh you know at tennessee some of the other wins that he produced throughout the fall you know then he, he beats arthur fury in a, in mm-hmm. a pro tournament here in calabasas he's established himself as an elite college player and I, I think there's a lot more room for him to grow. Uh, but I think August is is one of the best two or three players in college tennis. When I was at Fall Nationals, I thought Chidek uh, and August were, were playing at a different level. And I would put Fury in that group. And so, yeah, Daniel's at a point now where he's picking some of those guys off. And mm-hmm. if, if we go and play Holmgren on the road, I, I like his chances. Yeah. Uh, but I think you can't argue with the fact that Holmgren winning the national title – 
producing all throughout the fall, going into Davis Cup and getting it done for his home country last week. I also, you know, San Diego is our, our biggest competition in the conference. Ryan is an awesome guy who I've been friends with since we were 10 years old in the Midwest. And Holmgren represents their entire school so well. You know, he's somebody, we, when we played them last year at our place, my wife's just like, man, what an unreal kid, you know, yes. as a fan coming to the match. And so happy for him to, to have the kind of success. I'm also not going to be upset when he's done with his fifth year at San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Well, again, I know something we're all excited for is seeing your team compete because if you followed college tennis this fall, undeniable you win 72 percent of your singles matches you're doing something right and so obviously coach always a pleasure to have the chance to chat with you i've got another list of questions that i could get to you know about your time mid-2000s college tennis is actually one of my favorite like strike zones of the era because i think it's so fascinating but try not to get into that on a first date where yeah, you're ex- sitting down saying have i told you about my passion for mid-2000s college yeah. tennis <laughs> Well, you know, that's why I'm available for babysitting on weekends, Coach. Yeah, because too frequently. When, when can we get you out here to Malibu? That's that's my next question. I mean, we got to – are you going to be broadcasting the Arizona match? Is that still is that still on, on- – I'm in. Yeah. I, yes, I'm in. I'm in. Let's do it. Uh, obviously, we've got some things in the works. I can't say publicly now. I'll tell you as soon as I stop recording. But we're hoping to do a lot of different fun things this season. And obviously, look. Pepperdine Waves Tennis. How many schools have top 25 teams in both men's and women's? It's a very short list. Pepperdine's on that list. And that's a testament to the work you guys have done. Uh, again, if we're making a 2020 national championship, like I think North Carolina gets it on the women's side, and there was only one undefeated on the men's side. So technically, you're an asterisk national champion. Like, you put up the <laughs> banner. Put it up. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, but look, let me let me just say this before we before we finish. Thanks for all you're doing for college tennis. Really appreciate how you're highlighting our sport, promoting, marketing our sport. Love what you're doing for for coaches, players, programs. I think it's awesome. Love I love your passion. And it, it's really it's fun to discuss these sorts of topics and and try to dream about what college tennis can be. And I think, you know, as we talk we might not always agree on every on every topic, but the passion is, is undeniable, and I love that. So appreciate that. Want to see you push forward even more. Keep bringing attention to our sport. Keep pushing for, for a bigger audience, but appreciate all you do. More polarized, the American electorate or college tennis coaches? <laughs> it's a brotherhood. It's a brotherhood. <laughs> Very true, but coach, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for endorsing and I suppose tolerating all of our nonsense throughout the course of the year as well. Good luck to you and the guys. Be safe, be healthy, happy holidays. And yeah, we'll have you back on the show soon. Thank you. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Hope all of you enjoyed today's conversation with Pepperdine men's tennis head coach Adam Schachterly. I mentioned this at the top. Should have had him on the show far sooner, and I've had the opportunity to chat with him a bunch in private. Nice to make those conversations public here on today's episode, and I promise you listeners that will not be his last appearance on this show. So again, a huge thank you to him, and we're wishing obviously he and his team health and success throughout 2022. But as I also mentioned at the top, this is just the beginning, folks. I'm trying to chat with every power five men's and women's head coach before the start of the 2022 season. We're going to start rolling out those episodes next week. You're going to be able to find them all here on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed or on our website, crackedrackets.com. Of course, college contenders conversations over on the Great Shot podcast feed, off-season content each and every day coming on the mini break podcast feed as we try to do our best here to paint the entire picture for you listeners. Ensure you are the most well-informed, best-educated fans in the business across levels. So again, with all of that said, be on the lookout for all of that content. Like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, The Great Shot Podcast, Mini Break Podcast, our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, so you don't miss out on any of the content. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job they do day in, day out. With all of that said, for my fantastic guest, Pepperdine Men's Tennis Head Coach Adam Schachterly, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 